loved her the best that we could, tried to show her the right way. My wife called yesterday, just broken, and she said that uh, she wants to leave. And so she said, what are we going to do? And I said, why she want to leave? And she gave the reasons. And I said, honey, you know we can't change none of that now. We, that's the way it's got to be. It's the way it's got to be. So, I appreciate the word of the Lord this morning. I got something to tell her when I go back. Brother Henderson, I'm going to... God really gave me direction this morning to sit her down Saturday when I get home or Friday night if she's there and read her that text. And then we're going to pray. We're going to trust that God will just intervene. I don't know how to change somebody. I don't know how to reach into a person's spirit and heart, give them new desires. and You can shower people with gifts. You can show them happiness and peace and contentment and joy. You can show them faithfulness. You can show them love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. I'm telling you, the heart's desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things. And only God Really reach in there and change a man. Change a woman. Change a boy or change a girl. So would you help me pray about that? My wife wants to be here. She really does. There's people in this congregation that mean the world to us, but she felt like her responsibility was there at home. I told her last night I'd come home if uh, she wanted me to, I said, I'll just tell Brother Milby i got to go. She said, you stay there. You probably do better there than what you could do here anyway. But she's hurting this morning, and I want you all to pray for her. Pray for our home. Verse number 36 of John 5. I'll try to say what I can and get out of the way. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. The Father Himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. And ye have not His word abiding in you. For whom He hath sent... Him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Our Father, as we read this text this morning, we're keenly aware that this is Your Word. And I am just a man, a vessel of clay, with lips of clay. I have... No ability within myself to deal rightly with this text, this Word, and this congregation unless You help me. I pray that You'd anoint me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to say what You'd have me to say. And Lord, I pray that You'd take this Word and the words that I speak from this text and seal it up to the hearts of individuals that are here today. Most of all, for that one that might be among us that is shrouded in death, Lord. 
that doesn't know you in the forgiveness of sin. May they come to you today and have life. Thank you for your promise that all that come, all that come to you, Lord, will not be cast out, but they will find life and find it more abundantly in you. I pray that you'd help us. Bless the furtherance of the meeting in Jesus' name. Amen. And you will not come to me, Jesus said, that you might have life. I tried to deal yesterday with the death of the sinner, the, the position, the state, the nature of that person that is yet not in Christ, who doesn't know Him in the forgiveness of sin. The only thing that you can say about that individual is that they are dead in trespasses and in sins. Jesus is exposing the reason that these uh, Jews who will be His enemies from the time that He has picked this fight with them all the way up to His crucifixion. And He basically tells them that they will not come to Him not because of the works that He does, because the works that He did were the works of the Father. They were works that no man had any ability to perform. It wasn't because of a lack of witnesses that these individuals would not come to Him. There's an abundance of witnesses. John the Baptist had witness that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, the works that He works, the Father's own voice. As we heard just a few moments ago at the baptism of Jesus Christ, the voice of God had said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, Jesus said the very same thing and added, Hear ye Him. So they had the witness of the Father. They had the witness of the works. They had the witness of the Scriptures. The Scriptures that they had likely committed to memory. That they knew frontwards and backwards. All the stories of the history of Israel. Yet in spite of all this, Jesus says, You will not come to Me that you might have life. It's because of the death that they're shrouded in. But thankfully, thankfully, there is life for the dead sinner in Jesus Christ. There is life abundant, is what the Bible says. Now I know many of the charlatans of our age will teach us and tell us that the abundant life is a life of prosperity. That the abundant life is a life of ease. That the abundant life is one in which the blessings of God are manifest in material things, in temporal things. But the abundant life that Jesus gives this morning is life that may leave you broke. It may leave you physically suffering, as we've already heard this morning. But it will overcome every layer of death in which you were born in this morning. The abundant life that is in Jesus Christ. I'm encouraged by this text. I know some people look at this text and see nothing but negative. But I'm encouraged in this text in that there's a great invitation in this text. Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. It indicates to me that whosoever will can come to Jesus Christ. It indicates to me that a person who sees their great need of salvation, it indicates to me that a person who sees their distance from God and how they have transgressed the law of God, that there is nothing that hinders them from coming to Jesus Christ except for their own willful rejection of the truth. 
You'll not be able to stand before God and say, well, you didn't choose me from before the foundation of the world. You'll not be able to stand before God and say, I didn't hear an accurate presentation of the gospel. Nobody loved me or nobody encouraged me. You have the greatest invitation and encouragement that there ever could be. From the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, come unto me. And whosoever will come to Him will find life. There's no doubt about it this morning. Somebody said, oh, Brother Chris, I, I just don't know about this thing of salvation. I don't know if God could save me or if God would save me. Well, there's a promise in His Word that all who come to Him will find life. That's what He said. When you come to me, you might not find a new career. When you come to me, you might not find a new vocation. You might not find wealth. You might not find riches. But those who come to me will find life. And that's what we are in need of this morning. The only answer, this is deep. I hope, I hope you'll brace for impact as I give you this truth. The only answer for spiritual death is spiritual life. That's it. It's not a, a, a new a church to attend. It's not a new set of rules and standards to keep. It's not a new, uh, my friend, place to go at a church camp or something like that that folks have made religion out to be. But those who come to Jesus Christ, they find life. They get life. They have the life of God breathed into their dead soul. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. Somebody said, well, I'd like to have been there at the mouth of Lazarus' tomb and seen him walk out in, in grave clothes. Or I'd like to have been there. Uh, my friend, when Jesus touched the beard of the casket uh, at the widow of Nain, her son, I'd like to have been there and saw him interrupt the funeral. I'd like to have been there when Jairus' daughter, when they had hired the grievers to come in, the professional mourners to come in, and see Jesus walk in there and mess up that atmosphere. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. The night that you got saved, Jesus invaded the graveyard where you were at. And He spoke to you just like He spoke to Lazarus. Just like He spoke to Jairus' daughter. Just like He did to the widow of Nain. And listen, that night you didn't just receive a bunch of hugs and handshakes and encouragement, but the breath of God itself breathed in into your dead soul and made you alive. And now because of the power of God, you live, my friend, forevermore. And you are alive toward God. I'm grateful those that come to Jesus find life and they find it more abundantly this morning. You will not come to me that you might have life. The only reason you're not saved is because you won't come to Jesus. There are no barriers between you and Jesus Christ except for your own willful rejection of coming to Him. The gospel invitation goes to all. Amen. Somebody told me one time, said that's a dangerous thing to say. That the gospel invitation goes to all. Of course, they were hyper-Calvinists. And I'm not one of those. Amen. I'm not even a Calvinist, really, if you want to get right down to the brass tacks. Why is that, Brother Chris? Because look at this text closely. It says that you will not come to me that you might have life. It says that the sinner must first 
come and have life. That other doctrine teaches that before a sinner can come, that God has to give him life before he can come. But really, you can't distinguish the two. They are inseparable. You must come. And as you come to Jesus Christ, He gives you life. That's the order of that text right there. And so the only thing that keeps you from the full blessings of justification, the only thing that keeps you from being made right with God this morning, the only thing that keeps you from resurrection unto eternal life is because you will not come. But I'm glad for that day when God the Holy Ghost operated on my will and gave me a will to come. And when I came, I found life and I still possess it under this hell. Life. Does the prospect of that not intrigue you? Huh? Does the thought of being made alive before a holy God not touch the inside of you? Knowing the death that you live in. Knowing the, the sentence that's been pronounced over you. Knowing that you are condemned before a holy God. Knowing that there's no spiritual life in you. And knowing one of these days that eternal death will be yours. That there is a lake of fire that's reserved for those that do not know the Lord who will burn forever and forever. Oh, that God would reach in inside of the deadness that is yours and let you know that in Christ Jesus there is life for every sinner. Somebody said, oh, you don't know how dead I am. You don't know the darkness that I live in. You don't know the depravity that I'm shrouded in. You're absolutely right. But He does this morning. And in spite of all of it, He says, come that you might have life. Amen. You're right. I don't know where you were at last night. I don't know what you were doing yesterday. But He does. And He says, come. Come to me. There's a great invitation for us to come. But it's just as important of who we come to. We come to Christ. Amen. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Him. In this present hour, we come to Him. I don't know if I can mine all the implications of that, but that implies that there is a resurrected Savior to come to. That He's alive at this present hour. And that the Gospel is not just a declaration of the church, it's a declaration of the Son of God Himself. Huh? That's what the Gospel it is. It is. I know we breeze past these words, you know, and we breeze past these phrases in the Bible because we're looking for deeper things, you know, and, and we're trying to fill in our prophecy charts and we're trying to do all this and that. And we breeze past things like that the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith because the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. I know we look right past that, but did you not hear what he said? That the gospel declared, that the gospel preached, that the word of God lifted up, 
out of the vessel of a man lifted up is anointed by the power of God and that gospel alone is able to save men it's able to save women it's able to save boys and girls it is God's power it's not listen it's not another verse in a hymn it's not a preacher standing up telling horror stories it's not manipulation it's not my friend devices that get men and women and boys and girls in a right standing with God but it's the declaration of what God has done in his son that will save people I'm here to tell you it'll still save somebody today come to me come to Christ probably need to help me I I got more than what I can get out (sighs) I didn't know it I didn't know it that night I came to him he embraced me he gave me life I didn't know I didn't know everything about what happened to me when I got saved. I'm still kind of wading through it, you know. But I do know this, whatever I find, whatever I discover, and whatever you discover, we'll never discover anything higher than Him. And whatever we discover will be because of Him. Huh? This is the old time way, but I'm going to tell you something. It's the Jesus way. Yes, sir. Huh? Now, I'll now probably not get a lot of amens right here, but I don't care. Man, I'm feeling tall and big. Right now, bigger than what I am. Now, I'm a big boy. I've been in some meetings where folks shout about things. And we need to preach on things. I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. Y'all know me. Right? I've been coming here. 17 years now. Huh? 17 years. First time I ever come up here as a 20-year-old preacher feller. Didn't call me a boy because I wasn't a boy. I was a feller. And uh, come up here, Brother Pace's son-in-law. And uh, man, we I just loved it. You know, I just love it. I still love it. Still love it. Still look forward to coming here. Now, I don't care if I... I, I really mean this. I ain't... I ain't I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I don't give a rip if I get to preach or not, really. I mean, I figure God's going to let me preach somewhere. Huh? He's called me. And y'all didn't call me. They wouldn't have one of y'all on the backside of that pasture when my, when my Lord called me. I didn't know what He was doing, Brother Milby. I thought I was okay. I thought I was saved, you know, and I was saved. And I had big plans, you know, and different things I was going to do. And God sovereignly, now, that's what He did because I didn't invite Him and He didn't ask my permission. He sovereignly invaded me. Huh? He picked me out, chose me. I remember where He was when, or where I was when He did it. I was working at a little convenience store and uh, putting cans up on the rack and carrying trash out, doing all that kind of stuff. And I knew I was saved and I was glad about it and I enjoyed going to church. But man, back there in that cooler, I mean, now I know I didn't hear nothing audible as far as I know. I mean, I might have. I can't remember real good. But I, it was fine. It was louder than an audible voice. 
It's more clear and more distinct than an audible voice. I'll tell you what it caused me to do. It caused me... I, 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 y'all, y'all don't have to believe this. I, I really don't care. I was carrying a case of Coca-Cola's like that. And I was walking from one side of the cooler like that. And all of a sudden, it come across my heart, the fear and terror of the Lord. And I dropped them Coca-Cola's. I did. I said, what? He said, I want you to preach. And I said, no, 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 hold on a minute. Now, the other Sunday when I got an altar and said, Lord, whatever, that's not what I meant. I figured me and my sister would sing, you know, and I'd be a deacon like that. But God put His fear on me now. God put His terror on me. And I run from that for two years. I really did. And I'll tell you what I tried to do. <laughs> I tried to get as mean as what I could. And I tried to run with the wrong crowd. And uh, I said, you know, if I'll just mess everything up, then the Lord will leave me alone, you know. I'll tell you something about an anchor. It's not meant to keep you from, 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 or it's not meant just to keep you in one spot. It's meant to keep you from going too far. <laughs> huh? Meant to keep you from going too far. And before I'd go too far, man, that old anchor chain pulled tight. And I'd run back down there to the backside of the pasture and I'd say, I don't know what you're doing to me. Leave me alone, please. And I'm grateful that's one prayer he never answered. Huh? That's one prayer he never answered. He didn't leave me alone. Now he's brought me safely unto this present hour. And I still possess the life that he gave to me when I came to him. Amen? What kind of life do we... Well, I know it's been all over the map. But what kind of life do we get when we come to Jesus Christ? Well, like I said, it, it conquers every layer of death that was ours in Adam. The life that we have in Jesus Christ conquers every layer of death that we had in Adam. First of all, I told you yesterday that in Adam there's legal death. Well, in Christ there's legal life. God was just in condemning you dead in Adam, and likewise in Christ, He is just in giving you the full blessings of life. What do you mean by that, Brother Chris? Well, God has declared you alive. There is a legal declaration in His courts where you once stood condemned, now you stand justified. And in so doing, the charges have been not necessary. I hate to use this terminology. Because the charges have not been dropped. In declaring you alive and giving you life, it's not like God just kind of unilaterally just moved your sins out of the way and didn't do anything with them. He did something with them. Legally, He did something with them in the sight of God. Now I've heard people say, well, Brother Chris, why, why was it necessary for God to send His Son to die? Why was it necessary for Him to suffer like he suffered? Why was it necessary for him to be buried like he was and rise again on the third day and ascend back to the Father and make intercession? Why is it necessary for us to be convicted of our sins and for us to repent and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is all that necessary? Why can't God just snap His fingers and declare whoever He wants to to be right and not have to go through all the trouble? Very simply this morning, because He's God. Amen. And to do that would be a violation of His character. To do that would be an offense to His holiness. See, first of all, you've got to get it in your mind 
that the controlling attribute of God's nature is not His love, and it's not His mercy. It's not His desire to see men and women, boys and girls saved. That's not what controls Him. That's not what drives Him. That's not what caused Him in eons past to set the agenda, which He did, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. God's not a reactionary God. No, 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 no. No. He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. He's sovereign in all that. He, He planned all this out just like it is unfolding. And so, what made Him do that was the fact of not His love or not His mercy or His controlling desire to see people saved. What set the agenda, what drove everything was the fact that He is pure holiness. I heard a preacher say this morning, I was up early listening to preaching, and I, I, I agree with them. You got, I mean, you need to keep it coming. You need to soak it in regularly. Here preaching, there's abundance of resources that's available to people nowadays. And I heard a preacher say this morning that we have made too little of God's holiness. We've made too little of God's holiness to where now, to where now the gospel presentation that most people say is smile, God loves you, He's got a great plan for your life. And that's about it. That's about it. But here's the truth. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You've offended a holy God. And there's judgment coming toward you. The bow of God's judgment is drawn and there's an arrow that's been knocked and it's aimed right at you. It's aimed right at you. And unless somebody intervenes, that arrow is going to find its mark. God never misses the mark. Never. Bullseye every time. And unless somebody intervenes for you, that arrow is going to strike you and you'll perish for all of eternity. But for those of us that are saved, somebody stepped in the way and took the arrow. Who is that? Well, it's Jesus right here that I'm talking about. For God to declare you legally right, two things had to to occur. For God to declare you alive in His economy and, and, and for Him to be fully satisfied as the God that He is and declare you just and right, two things had to happen. Somebody had to live a sinless life. Somebody on your behalf, God does allow in His economy substitutions. He will allow that. He will allow in His just economy for the guilt of one to be transferred to another. He does allow that. That's the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But those sacrifices in the Old Testament, the Bible said, could never take away sin. Why is that? Because they were not sinless. They are creatures. They have no will. They have no knowledge. They're dumb, ignorant beasts. Amen. And so what happened was there has to be a man because man... I know we got lunch. I'll be done in just a minute. I promise. There had to be a man perfectly because of the disobedience of one, many were made sinners. So one had to obey. One righteous servant of God had to be fully and perfectly obedient to every expression of God's holy character and that is the law. It had to be a man though. So no man could father a man like that. 
Because every man that fathers a child passes along his nature. So God just kind of intervened into the natural biological process. <laughs> the virgin birth is a miracle. And it's not a miracle of biology, it's a miracle of theology. And God intervened into that process and He, he conceived within the womb of a woman by the name of Mary without violating her virginity, by the way. Without doing that. He conceived within her a holy seed and His name is Jesus. And from the moment He took a breath in this life all the way up till He took His last breath in this life, He did nothing but the will of the Father. Perfectly kept the law to a jot and a tittle. The perfect keeping of God's law is for you to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And don't raise your hand and say, bless God, I've done that. You ain't never done that for a ten second space in your life. You ain't never done that. And I ain't never done that. But guess what Jesus did every second of His 33 and a half years? He loved God with everything that was in Him. And God loved Him too. Don't ever miss when you're reading the New Testament. Don't ever miss that love language between the Father and the Son. Somebody said, why should I pay attention to that? Because all the love that the Father has for the Son has been imputed to you if you're in the Son. And all the love that the Son has for the Father has been imputed to you. So when you can't love God perfectly, guess what? Jesus has loved Him perfectly for you. Huh? Oh, I want to love Him more. I do. I do, I do, I do. We used to sing that old song. I want to love Him more. But when I can't, Jesus has never failed to love Him. He kept the law in every sense of the Word. He kept the law perfectly toward God. He kept the law perfectly toward, toward the world, toward His fellow man. In every sense of the Word, He was sinless. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Right? But that's not the only thing that must occur for God to declare you legally right or alive. There's got to be a sinless substitute that stands in your place, but His wrath has got to be appeased. In other words, He's got to exercise His wrath that is due you. Now, He might exercise it on something else, but it's got to be exercised. God don't pull back His wrath. Amen? Well, who's going to do that, Brother Chris? That same one that lived a sinless life for you stands in the way and says, exercise all the wrath that's due them on me. Amen? Every strike of the fierce anger of God that's due to Benson Galloway, Jesus said, I'll take it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And I believe he knew Benson Galloway too. Amen. When he was suffering on the cross, I believe he was suffering for Preacher Hanley Milby, specifically. For Brother Ken Jenkins, specifically. For the Guffies, specifically. For the Owens, specifically. He knew you. <laughs> well, that makes me happy. That does. I don't I don't know what that, what that makes me theologically, but I'm going to tell you what that makes me happy and secure. Amen. 
that shortly before, see, they, they came to arrest Him. I love this scene. I preach about this scene all the time because I love it. They came to arrest Him. One, one man that never owned a sword. One man that never called for war. One man that had never stirred up a conflict in his life. Folks fought about him, but he never started a fight, you know. And they came to arrest him, and they had a bunch of soldiers to do it. That's amazing to me. One little old radical teacher carpenter. And they brought just an army of folks to arrest him. Why is that? Because they were scared to death of him. And rightly so. Because when they got there to where he was at, he said, "What? Well, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I that speak unto you am he. And when, they, when he said that, they all fell backwards. And they had to help each other up, you know. And when they helped each other up, he was standing there saying, now take me. Take me. And from that point on, from that moment on, the wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ he done in place of me. I'm telling you, when he is walking out of the garden, he is thinking about the fact I'm going to do this for Chris. I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to do it, man. I know what's about to happen. I know what I'm getting into. I know what awaits me. I'm not, I've resigned to the will of the Father. I've taken the cup. And the cup means to be shamed. And the cup means to be beaten. And the cup means to bear His iniquity. But for the joy that's set before me, I'll endure the cross. Drank it up. They put him on the cross at about nine, I guess. And for three hours, men did to him what they could. But at about twelve, God snuffed the sun out like a candle. And he said, Y'all have done what you can to my son. Now I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. For three hours on the cross, all the eternal, every bit of the hell that you would have endured for all of eternity was poured out upon the Son. I love reading the Puritans. I do. I know they weren't right on everything, but I enjoy reading them. I enjoy reading them. It'll help you more than Dr. Feelgood out of the convention. I promise you. They weren't right on everything, but they thought. They fought. We've got a society today that's built on amusement. You put A in front of a word and it destroys things. It's what an A does. To muse means to think. So what this society wants you to do is not think. Them Puritans thought. And one of them that I was reading after said this about, about the wrath of God on Christ at the cross. He said, from the first moment that Adam breathed air as a sinful creature, all the way till time shall be no more to the last sinner that God will justify. He said, all the wrath that was treasured up against those people. He said, it was like God was holding His breath. Just like you're about to get in a fight, and you snarl, the Puritan said he had a snarled up nose. He said, when the lights went out on Calvary, he said, God 
let loose of all the restraints that he had. And poured it out on his son. Isaiah said it like this. That he shall make his soul an offering for sin. And all of the all of the wrath and fury that was due to you, God poured out on His Son for three hours on the cross. And then when He turned the lights on, you want to know what Jesus said? It's finished. And what He meant by that was that there is no more wrath. No more fury. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you walk around thinking that God's about to dump you off into hell. He can't do it. There's no more hell left for you. Christ took every bit of it. And He come through it alive. That's amazing. He come out on the... I have never thought about that. He come out on the other side of the wrath of God alive. And then He yielded up the ghost. Fully satisfying God for us. Was buried and rose again for our justification. There's so much I could say, but I want to keep on going. But now, everybody that comes to Jesus Christ, because you've come to Him, all the wrath that's due to you has been satisfied in the sight of a holy God. God just, He leaps. (laughs) He's just happy. To say, alive. He's satisfied. That's the heart of propitiation. Is that He has been satisfied. There's two layers to propitiation. There's expiation. There's the fact that your sins have been removed. They're gone. You can't find them in all of the cosmos of God's eternal economy. You can't find the sins of those who believe upon Jesus. They've been completely removed. Like a stain out of a garment is washed pure and it goes out in the excess never to be found again. You couldn't put that stain back together on your shirt if you wanted to. It's been washed away. It is gone. You could go out looking the field line and you'd never find that stain. My sins have been washed away. You can't put them back together. They're gone for eternity. And because of that, God delights. God enjoys. God is happy. God is pleased when vile, rotten, no no good, dirty, defiled sinners come to His Son because of the fact that He can give them life. He's not mad. He's not angry with you if you come to Jesus. Now listen, if you don't come to Jesus, the wrath of God abides on you. And there's an ocean of condemnation await those that do not believe. But for those that do believe, there is therefore now no. <laughs> hey, Brother Wayne, what's that word in the Greek mean? No. It means no. I studied it myself. It means no. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Life is declared over you in the eternal courts of heaven. Well, if I wasn't saved, I'd get saved for that alone. I mean, that's enough, ain't it? If God never did anything else for me, just knowing that when I stand before Him, 
I'll stand before Him justified, not condemned, clean, righteous, holy, because of the life I found in the Son. I'd come to Him because of that. Somebody said, I don't understand either. Well, I'm preaching and I don't understand altogether. But I'm enjoying it though. Huh? There's more life that He gives, but I'm going to stop there. Don't ever diminish. Don't ever diminish. Don't ever think lowly of what Christ has done for you. <clears throat> Don't ever think it a small thing that He bore your sin. We, see, we have come to a church age where we are bored with the cross. Huh? We're bored with it. I've seen it. Man, I've been in big camp meetings like this and, and, and somebody preach on the cross and people just sit there kind of like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I can hear. It's the best news you've heard all week. Not because I preach it, because it's so. Telling you, you could wake up in the morning and found out they've made a mistake on your account for years and they deposited a million dollars in there. Huh? You still wouldn't heard no better news than what you've heard from the Bible. Because that money will perish in the flames. But what Christ has done will stand for all of eternity. Amen. All right, come here.